Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Right now, we're working our way through the book of 1 Peter, but today is Westminster Wednesday, so we're going to take a break from 1 Peter, and we're going to look at a section of the Westminster Confession. Each Wednesday, we are walking through a paragraph or two of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is uh, the Confession of Faith of the Presbyterian Church in America. It was a document that was written back in the 1600s uh, in order to summarize faithfully what Scripture teaches. We don't believe that the confession stands over and above Scripture, but that it is a faithful summary of what Scripture teaches. We're up to chapter 2, paragraph 2. Chapter 2 deals with God and of the Holy Trinity. And we're looking at the second paragraph of this statement about who and how God is. So let me pray for us this morning, and then I will read paragraph 2 of chapter 2 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we'll look at what it says and think a little bit about how that matters and how that should encourage us in our faith because it really is amazing. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these faithful summaries of your word that help us understand who and how you are. And as we think through this doctrinal statement this morning, we ask that you would give us spirit that we, your spirit that we might understand that we might begin to to understand really who you are in all of your majesty and glory. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 2, paragraph 2 says this, God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all-sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, Whatsoever himself pleaseth. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men and every other creature, whatsoever worship, service, or obedience, he is pleased to require of them. Well, this is indeed a bold statement about who and how our God is. There is uh, just a truckload of rich theology in this one paragraph. That's why I read it so slowly and intentionally, trying to make sure that we understood how each of the clauses relates to what's around it. It's, It's easy in the confession, not just the Westminster Confession, but any old confession like this to get lost in the piling up of the language and and clauses and descriptors. But in this paragraph in particular, If we were to outline it and just kind of follow the being verbs 
You remember the being verbs, am, is, are, was, were, be, being, been, all, all of those verbs. If we were just to follow those as they are found here, that would provide us a helpful understanding of what exactly is going on here. So that's what we're going to do. So the first one, God hath, or, or God has all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of himself. What the Westminster Divines, those who wrote the Confession of Faith, are trying to get us to understand in this paragraph and what they launch into right here is that God is sufficient unto himself. He is self-sufficient, not in need of anything, not even from his church. Rather, we are in need of him. So all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness are in and of him. Second verb is the second half of this first sentence, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. Again, this is a statement about the, the self-sufficiency of God in and unto himself. Now, there's this difficult part, or, or it may at least be difficult to fit into categories of how we're used to thinking, that, that he doesn't derive any glory from any of his creatures. That he doesn't need any glory from us, doesn't derive any glory from us, but manifests his glory in us. We talk all the time about us, that we exist to glorify God. And indeed we do, but we must be careful with what we mean by that. When we say that, that we exist to glorify God, that all things exist to glorify God, we're not saying that we exist to make God glorious or to add to his glory. Rather, we exist to point out the glory that he has in and unto himself. Whatever glorifying of God we do, either by our existence, being created in his image, or by our worship, or by our redemption, whatever glory we reflect back to God is his glory that is manifest in, by, unto, and upon us. So when we say we exist to glorify God, we're not adding glory to him, but we're pointing out the glory that he already has. The next verb, he is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. Here, the, the divines are essentially quoting Romans chapter 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. They're wanting us to understand that rather than him deriving any glory or any life or anything from his creation, it's exactly the opposite. We derive our being from him. The next verbal clause, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleaseth. Whatever he pleases to do, he can do. Because he isn't dependent on us. Rather, we are dependent on him. He doesn't derive life from us. We derive life from him. We exist 
only from his desire. He is absolutely sovereign over us so that he has the freedom to act by, for, or upon us as he pleases. The next verbal clause is, in his sight, all things are open and manifest. In other words, he, again, he, he, he is not determined by anything. There's, there's nothing that is acting on him. Everything is a possibility for him. He's not bound by anything. His knowledge is, the next verbal clause, infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. This is just the same thing said in a different way. He, he isn't determined by anything. He, his, his will, contrary to what some people would say, is not determined in any way by us. It's again just the opposite. The next verbal statement, he is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. Being sovereign over everything, having the freedom to act by, for, or upon all of his creatures, all of his creation in any way, he is also perfectly holy in all that he does. Nothing can be charged against him. To him, because of who he is, because of how he relates to the world as the sovereign, not deriving anything from us, but only manifesting his glory in us, logical conclusion to him is due from angels and men and every other creature, whatever worship, service, and obedience he requires. He's the sovereign. So here's the beauty of this. This sets God up as this sufficient being in himself that isn't dependent on us in any way whatsoever to be as glorious as he is. His glory would be no less even if we didn't exist. He would still be just as glorious. Because any glory that he derives from us, if we want to use that, is merely a reflection of, a point pointing out of the glory that he already has. So even in our redemption, he isn't made more glorious. Now, here's why this is such an incredible thing to ponder. If by our redemption... He is not made more glorious. If by our salvation, he isn't made more glorious, that means he is doing it. He is redeeming us. He has redeemed us. He sent his son to die for us. He is establishing us as his people only out of his good pleasure. Not because in any way he is required to. Not because in any way he is made more glorious by redeeming us. He exists all sufficiently unto himself, deriving nothing from us, not even in our redemption, 
And so here's what that does for us. When we think about how we relate to God, how we relate to this all-glorious God, here's what it teaches us. We are the objects of his self-willing love and nothing else. He didn't have to redeem us. He gained nothing from it. He redeemed us only out of his good pleasure. The purest love that there is. He gained nothing because he had it all. And so we know our redemption is driven purely by his love and his desire to have us as his people. That's why we take such comfort in his sovereignty over all things. We can rest in that. Amen. Thank you.